we've been um, we've been exploring the kingdom of God together. Um, started off with a message that I just felt I needed to do a message on the kingdom of God. I just didn't want to do um, a whole series on the kingdom of God, but out of that series, I realized that there are so many aspects about the kingdom of God that Christians don't understand, that Christians are unaware of. Um, for one being that the kingdom of God is not heaven. Um, the kingdom of God was never meant to be just in heaven. It was always meant to, to move from heaven to earth through the hearts of men, uh, being connected to a relationship of a, with a king. <clears throat> and um, because that is the case, Christianity has almost nothing to do with uh, the rest of the religious categories that there are out there. Um, Christianity has everything to do with this king and his purposes and our participation in this kingdom on earth. Yes, through a system called Christianity. But really, if you think about it, a king don't use a church to run its affairs in a country. He uses a culture that is upheld, reinforced, and served by a government. Our American culture is, is served by, upheld by, reinforced by our people and our government. And that is the same thing. Um, when we step into the church world and the church environment, we are often uh, blinded to the fact that this is more than just a meeting place. First and foremost, the church is not a building. It's a people. Um, but second, it's not just a people. It's a people with a purpose. And that purpose do not get defined by my hopes, dreams, and desires. That purpose gets defined by the king that has welcomed me into this relational, this relational rule, this, this the realm, this relational realm of existence. And so when people say things like Christianity is not a religion, they're starting to get it, but they often fall short of just how much of it, uh, not a religion it is, and, and then describing properly what it is. Um, and because we don't properly describe the whole scope of what this kingdom is about, um, we end up having a me-centered or a man-centered Christian expression or Christian experience where it's all about my comforts, my prosperity, and my will. And, I mean, if you, if you, if you just read the Bible of, uh, and, and, and study Jesus' life, you realize how the person that came to reinitiate this kingdom in our in our in our earth on our earth um, his he's the he's the, the founding member his lifestyle exemplified a non-self-centered existence it's over and over and over jesus says i'm not here to do my will i'm here to do the will of the one who sent me i'm not here to live for my purposes i'm merely here to be about my father's business and so if the founding member of our faith and of our kingdom lived a life that was not him-centered, then, then that should be the lifestyle that we live. And that should be the, uh, the, 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 the culture that we live under 
or as a part of in the kingdom of God. Now, of course, we know that God, the Bible says, took this Jesus who men crucified and he raised him up and gave him a name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And so, G- so God chose to make it about Jesus. This lifestyle is now about Jesus Jesus did not choose to make this lifestyle about himself, but God elevated him to that place. And for now, us, our understanding of the kingdom is that it is a Christ-centered living existence. The kingdom of God is bigger than the church. It's even bigger than heaven. And God always purposed that his kingdom would rule the hearts of men through the Holy Spirit, through a relationship, not through a set of rules, through a relationship, and that that would then spread, that would become the internal culture of our hearts, which would result in an external way of living, so that earth would look more and more like heaven, like more and more like what God wanted it. Now, he started that in Adam. Adam messed it up, as we've spoken about before. And then the last Adam, the Bible speaks of Jesus Christ, came to reestablish this way of living on the earth. He came to reestablish the kingdom of God. The message of Jesus and the message that he sent his disciples out to preach was not a message of salvation. It was the message of a kingdom, a new rule, a new reign, a new way of doing things. That's what was so confronting to the religious leaders after the time because Jesus wasn't just coming to play nice. Jesus was coming to take over. And there's a difference between just, I want to just do a little thing here on my own and hopefully I get some followers. There's this, look y'all, whatever you're doing is coming to an end. There's a difference. But Jesus came to reestablish the kingdom of God. And so whenever he sent his disciples out to do stuff, he would tell them, tell people that the kingdom of God is near. Tell people the kingdom of God is at hand. Even John the Baptist's message wasn't just salvation in Christ. It was the kingdom of God coming. And so if we get the message, we understand that um, this Christian walk that we're walking isn't just a religion neither is it just a relationship because if there is a relationship between me and a peer basically that relationship carries no authority to dictate to me what ought to be and so often christians have entered into this this walk with jesus with and they find life they find relationship true honest connection with the living God, the living word of God, and it is amazing, but they fail to realize that this relationship has an order. (laughs) This relationship is not me coming in dictating to God how he ought to do for me. This relationship is me coming under submission. In fact, the Bible says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and confess that he is what? Lord. Not just Savior, not just friend, although he is both of those things. But the New Testament emphasis is overwhelmingly on his lordship. In fact, it is, it is just, it is like so overwhelming that, I mean, it's literally like a, 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 a 5% of the New Testament referring to Jesus as being Savior versus 95% of the New Testament talks about him as being Lord. 
So the emphasis is on the rulership of Jesus Christ, which the salvation part is basically the, the entryway into this kingdom. But so often Christians go and make this, this doorway, this entryway, they make everything about that. And the conversations never move beyond salvation, never moves beyond being saved, being born again. But there is so much more. Imagine stepping through the gates of a whole new kingdom and getting stuck at the gate. And not seeing even the palace, not seeing even the inner rooms of the palace ever getting close to that. The heart of God was always to bring us into the holy of holies, to bring us into relationship. That's why he tore that veil from the top to the bottom. But in bringing us into his close proximity, guess what? You're also starting to see the inner workings of his kingdom. You're starting to realize that this isn't just about entry into the kingdom. No, there's a whole culture at play. There's a whole lifestyle at play in this new kingdom that is meant to come into my heart and then from my heart into the earth. So that my physical existence, physical experience starts more and more echoing my spiritual reality. But that can only happen if we get the first thing right, and that is that Jesus is Lord. And so what we've been talking about is, is just how do, how do we live in this heavenly culture here on earth? How do we start to make sense of this desire of God for us to be saved, getting saved, getting accepted, getting grace given to us to basically cover everything we've done, do, and will do, yet at the same time have a desire for us to live out more than just being saved. So Romans 14 verse 17 says this, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, speaking about the religious rules of the times. It wasn't about the, those ordinances and following the, the traditions and following the, 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 the rules and sacrifices and things that they needed to do to make up for their sins. It's not about trying to balance the scales by being more good than I am evil. It is about righteousness, about peace, and about joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ uh, thus way is acceptable to God and approved by men, says verse 18. So what does this mean? It means that the kingdom of God, first and foremost, is about righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is a right standing. We spoke about how a right standing puts you in the presence of somebody and it's okay. There's no accusation against you anymore. There's no guilt on you anymore. There's no shame in your heart anymore. And neither is there brokenness because progressively you are being healed as your standing uh, is secured. But the second part of righteousness is right living. And that, ha that happens more and more as we accept the culture of the kingdom into our lives. Right? And so there is this, this conflict in our, in our souls because we're used to living in our normal human culture. But then the kingdom of God comes and it comes and it, it contradicts that. And so every time we find something in our lives that is in contradiction to the way heaven operates, we have a decision to make. Are we going to let Jesus be Lord in our lives or are we going to take Lordship back and say, no, this is okay. I'm going to keep this. 
And so every day of our lives, we are conflicted because we have these faith crises that show up where we're going to continue to bow our knee and allow heavenly culture to override or whether we're going to go and say, oh, oh, no, this is too much. This is enough. I, I, I am feeling too out of control here. I'm going to take back some control, and, 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 and I'm, going to, I'm going to let you change me up to this far, Lord, but I'm not going to let you change me further. The beauty about the kingdom of God is, is once you're in, provided that you keep your confession of faith, you are in. Your standing with God is, is, is in place. You are accepted in the beloved. You have been called a child of God and given the right, due to your faith, to call yourself a child of God, according to John 1, 12 and 13. So your standing is not compromised by your inability to fully live out kingdom culture, but your transformation can be hampered, can be slowed down, can be stopped. Your healing can be affected. And not just that, also your ability to live out powerfully the, the call of God on your life is affected greatly by that. The Bible says if, we, uh, if, we, um, if our hearts condemn us because of something that we're not allowing God's lordship to come and, and change, because we realize that, right? And then, and then we, we live now under this place of almost a little bit of like shame, a little bit of condemnation. Even though the Bible says there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, because of our disobedience, we still feel condemnation every now and then. Our confidence before God is lost. It affects our prayer life. It affects our Bible reading life. You start trying to read the Bible, but all you feel is that it, it's judging you. You start wanting to come to church, but all you feel is like people are judging me. No, really what's happening is you're having an internal conflict with the kingdom of God that is asking you to give up some things and you're not willing. And so now it becomes difficult to be in a place where others are willing because it confronts your internal rebellion. And look, we've all been there. Like, like, like I, I get there at least once or twice a week. <laughs> it's not something that goes away. It's, <laughs> it's something that you constantly have to rule over. Remember when um, in the story of, of, of Cain and Abel, right? Um, Abel followed God's pattern for sacrifice for, uh, um, for forgiveness of sin. Um, this is going to blow your mind. But... This is the reason why Cain's offering weren't accepted. Abel followed God's pattern. Cain brought his human effort. The Bible says that without remission, without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Sins cannot be forgiven until there is a sacrifice where blood flowed. Cain did not bring a blood sacrifice. He brought from, the Bible says, the fruit of his labor, his effort. His works, his religion. Abel just took a lamb, slaughtered it, sacrificed it before the Lord. Mind's blown? So Cain rejected kingdom culture. Abel accepted kingdom culture. Then God says to Cain, Cain, where's your brother? Of course, he had, he had killed him, right? Cain is 
trying to you know, justify some stupid reason. Who, who am I supposed to be my brother's keeper? God says to him, the blood of your brother cries out to me from the ground. And then God says to him this incredible thing. He says to him, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. And its desire is to rule over you, but you must rule over it. You see, God gave us the ability to rule over sin. He would not have said that to Cain if, if, if Cain was not able to make decisions, to choose against what sin was motivating and was pushing him to do. Now, I believe if Cain had repented there, there would have been a consequence, yes, but there wouldn't have been the curse that he had to live with for the rest of his life. But he chose to harden his heart and he chose to re keep rebelling. And of, of, of course, God dealt with him the way he did. Now, for us, the beauty of, uh, of the New Testament, the New Covenant, covenant is, is that all curses have been dealt with, right? So our disobedience don't lead to God cursing us or God punishing us and, and things like that. Our disobedience sometimes does lead to life just happening in, a, in, a, in the way that God did not want it to because of our bad decisions and we face the consequences. But uh, we don't have the same interaction right now with God due to grace because God had already punished us in Christ, luckily for us. That's, a, that's the huge blessing of the New Testament. However, it does mask a little bit the the problem that we're creating for ourselves because if we continue to do so we'll drift further and further and further and further away from kingdom culture and we'll drift further and further and further away from God that gives the enemy more and more opportunity to start challenging our faith and look nothing can happen to your standing in the Lord until your faith is compromised but the further you move away from God and the more you start to doubt and the more you start to rebel all of a sudden you might find yourself at a juncture where you don't even know whether you truly believe God exists anymore. That is a very dangerous place because the Bible says anybody who comes to God must first and foremost believe that He is. And second, that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. But if you lose that first instance when you stop believing that God is, that compromises your faith. And without faith, nobody can please God. That means you cannot enter into God's peace. You cannot have right standing with Him if your faith is compromised. It's not about how many times you fail as a Christian to live up to the standard of God. It's about how, um, how often you, um, you, know, you mess up. It's not even about how far you take a walk away from God. It's, none of those things happen. I've seen people come out of the darkest of places and tell that, we never lost our faith in God. We always asked God for, uh, for help. But it was like circumstances and everything around them just was so tough and so difficult that they kept on making stupid decisions that they could have avoided, but they didn't. But regardless of that, they never lost their connection with God. And God's grace led them back out of that eventually. But the minute you lose your faith confession, you're no longer able to please God. And at that point, I believe, you're no longer um, under grace the second way i think how it happens is, is is if we go back to a legalistic way of of, of trying to prove our goodness to god uh, the bible doesn't talk about falling from grace as sinning the bible talks about falling from grace as being going back to legalism going back to trying to balance the scales going back to depending on your ability to do good to save you 
rather than your stance that is based on your faith through His grace. So we become positionally righteous when we are born again as God's as citizens into His new kingdom, but we become practically righteous as we live out kingdom culture. And God wants both for us. God wants both for us. So the culture that I'm referring to is, is as we've been working on this definition, is just basically the everyday existence that characterizes a, a people group or a nation or an organization. Sometimes you even have a, a, a subgroup that has a distinct culture from other groups, like um, uh, uh, surfers, like S said before, I could have chosen to just be a beach by my life, all life, and be happy, but then God got a hold of me and told me that there is an actual purpose to this, this, this existence, which then, you know, translated into more and more of this. But the bottom line is, surfer culture is way, way different from normal people. It is, trust me. It's like they have their own language, they have their own terminology, things that you would hear them talk, and you even have a clue what they're talking about. Almost like Cajuns. <laughs> Y'all didn't see that coming, right? I just like, <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, almost, almost. Nothing compares to Cajun culture. It's awesome. Um, and so kingdom culture is like the everyday existence of kingdom citizens. And it's characterized by our shared attitudes, values, goals, our practices, and our, 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 our traits. And the Bible speaks about all of these things, uh, how a Christian looks like, how a Christian talks like, how a Christian walks like. Um, and, 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 and all of that is basic descriptions of you know, typical kingdom living. But it's not so prescriptive that you know, a surfer dude coming in here with long hair, etc. does not fit into the kingdom of God. No, it talks more about internal realities than external realities. And that's where the church have missed it so often. They've connected righteous living to external things where really it's not about that it's about internal condition but when internal condition is kingdom culture lifestyle becomes heavenly and wherever lifestyle lacks heaven's character it's because kingdom culture is amiss internally and heavenly lifestyle is not about external appearance it's about matters of righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit, like he says. And so the kingdom culture creates an internal environment where God's will makes sense. God's will for your life can only make sense when you have an understanding of his kingdom. Because if you try to make sense of this world and all the things that it has to offer, and then you try and bring God's will into that and reconcile the two, there's just constant conflict. Because in this, this world offers us the dream, right? But that dream is often, it's, it's not Christ-centered. And so what we've done often is we've taken this dream as ultimate. In other words, our culture is ultimate. Not kingdom culture or kingdom objectives, kingdom goals. No, our goals is ultimate. And, 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 and then we become Christians because we know we can't get to eternal life without Jesus. But instead of now coming into submission under the will of the kingdom, the purposes of the kingdom, the goals of the kingdom, we just try and use the kingdom to get our own way. And I mean, we all do that. It's not, a, it's not, a, it's not a thing, something to make you feel like very bad right now. I'm just helping you to see that there's an order 
change that needs to take place in your life. Jesus didn't die for your life so that you can pursue becoming a millionaire at all cost. Does he want you well? Yes. But is he going to condone your bad practices and your illegal behavior on the way to becoming a millionaire just because he wants you to prosper? No, no, no. You're not, that, that's missing the whole point. And so when you start understanding the kingdom, you realize that there is a king. And this king is the boss. I'm no longer the boss of my life. And I get to come and test my things with him. God, I truly want to do this. Is there a way that I can do this that it still honors you, that it still serves your purposes? Yes, let's do it this way. God is for your plans. He's for your dreams and for your desires until they cross his <laughs> principles or until they become more important to you than his plan for your life. It's called idolatry. Now I'm starting to serve my own dreams and goals. I have submitted to serving them at all costs. And I will sacrifice anything and everything else to reach that deal and that, that, that goal and that ideal. Now there is an order uh, 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 missing where the king gets to bring definition to your life. And all your dreams filters through his understanding of, uh, 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 sorry, all your dreams filter to his design for you, his plans for you. And then some of them do get discarded. They do. Like, I mean, seriously, I, 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 like my wife said here a, a, a bit earlier about wanting to be a surfer person. I, I really did and do. But, I <laughs> but, I, but I'm okay with not being that because I have something greater. Thanks, babe. Those words just meant incredibly much the morning, this morning. But can you see how it became inward first? I had to say, Lord, this is, this is precious to me, but you are more. And so I'm willing to let go of this to pursue you and what you have and what you need of me. I mean, honestly, this, it would, I, I would have just wasted all this as a surfer, right? Come on, y'all. Just laugh. Okay, that was a joke. But look, this is why, this is why we, okay, shut up, stop. I'm sorry, I repent, okay, bad joke. Um, but this is why we, we work so hard at, at motivating kingdom culture in this church. It's because we, we first want it to be a true relationship with God. But it's not a relationship with equal, amongst equals. It's a relationship with order. He is my king and my life is um, at his pleasure. Serve, I serve at the pleasure of the king. And sometimes that have asked us to move across a pond, and sometimes that have asked us to move to a different city, and sometimes that have asked us to, to just keep doing things the way we're doing it. But we respond not because of options of promotion or, 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 or ideas of grandeur, you know, adventure, or all those things are great and good, but they're not my leader. They're not my king. My king is Jesus Christ, and I serve at the pleasure of my king. And we try to motivate that. Why? Because there is so much in each and every one of us in this room 
that so often is just wasted on, on junk, things that the world pursues. And don't, 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 don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying pursuing business ideals and advancement in, in, in life and, and all this. I'm not saying that that is wasting. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that if that becomes your idol and you want to do that at the expense of your standing and the culture that God wants you to live in, now it's becoming wasteful. But if you take your kingdom standing and your kingdom culture and you live out this dream that you have to be able to bring glory to God, to be able to expand the mission of God, to be able to serve His kingdom in collaboration with Him and in discussion with Him, are you condoning this thing? Is this thing something that you would like me to pursue? Now you're not wasting. Now you're employing every little bit of greatness that God has placed on the inside of you for his goals, for his purposes, for his advancement, the advancement of his kingdom, which will result in people getting saved in your workplaces, people getting saved in your classrooms. Why? Because you're not adhering to the standards of this world. You're living the kingdom no matter where you are. Can you see how come it's so ludicrous to split your life away from, your Christian life away from your everyday life? And for so many years, the church have just been okay with people having Christianity on the side. And then when Sunday the door is shut, everything stays inside there. And now I'm just, you know, a normal person, the real me out there in the world. It makes absolutely no sense for the kingdom. Because the kingdom of God is everywhere. The kingdom of God goes where you go. And so God wants us to live out this kingdom culture everywhere that we go. And we've written down some statements in our church, but really what they are is just reminders to help us remember what kingdom culture is like. Okay? And, and, and each one of these statements have a, a big thing around them. And so go listen to the previous sermons to, to, to get into the depth of each of these statements, but we've, we've spoken how Jesus is the center. Jesus is the foundation of this kingdom. He is Lord. We've talked about growth being our pursuit, um, and that, that, that we're not going to just settle where we are and, and, and uh, allow the kingdom of God to change us to a certain degree up to a point, and then go, no, 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 no. We don't, we don't go and do more than that. No. Everything we are and live and do is at His uh, disposal and at His definition. We ask Him to bring definition to every part of our lives. People are our passion. That's why we welcome any person. That's why we have to build in such a multi-way, multi-generational. And if you hear from a high school or from JMU, from anywhere, we're trying to tell you that we are excited about having you here. If you're here and you're still in middle school or primary school and you're not in children's church, what are you doing? I'm just kidding. 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 Some of y'all are able to be here. You can be here from 12, 13, no matter. As long as you can start understanding me, you can be here. Um, people are our passion. doesn't matter what color they come from. doesn't matter what background they come from, socioeconomic class they come from. doesn't matter from what nationality they come from. As long as we can find a way to communicate the truth with one another, you're welcome here. If you can't understand English, probably don't come here. Because I can't speak Espanole. Yet. We're going to make a change in that. 
We're going to start singing some, 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 passion, some, some Spanish songs. Y'all, Spanish has passion. Ooh, ooh, let me tell you something. Spanish are passionate people. We need more Spanish people in our church, y'all. Let me tell you this. I'm telling you that the minute you start getting different cultures into a space, we benefit from one another. My goodness. My goodness. White people can be so stiff. Y'all, seriously. No, we need some. We need some Espanole. Like, you know, we need some some culture, y'all. We... Si, senor. My goodness. Let me not, let me not even start talking about our, our African-American friends and family. Mm-mm-mm. Nobody can say anything like an African-American can say it. I'm telling you, I wish I can preach like an African-American. They can take a statement that I will say, and they can say it in such a way that just like rips the house apart. I, I love their expressiveness, and I love their passion. I love their rhythm. My God, we need more rhythm in our church, right? <laughs> Come on, y'all. We need some. We need more black people on our praise and worship team. This is an invite. Come on. Get a little banjo going out there. Huh? Get some, get some hip and hopping. I said that by on purpose. Okay, I know it's not called that. I'm, I'm, just <laughs> I'm, I'm making white people ca- characterified white people badly here right now. We're not that bad. We can sometimes sing. <coughs> not all of us though. But like I said, God loves you singing. Okay, kingdom culture is worship culture, y'all. Remember what we spoke about last week. God has this filter up there in heaven. Remember, He purifies those voices before they reach His ears. Don't you worry. You just have to offer the input. He's going to clean it up like Gabe does with the soundboard back there. He's going to clean it up nicely. He's going he's gonna to put it out into the house in a nice, sweet sound. You, you, just, you just offer up your praises to Him. Don't, don't worry what it sounds like. People are our passion, y'all. If we stop, it's about people. People needing to get saved. People needing to get healed. People needing to get understanding. People needing to get conviction in their faith, assurance of their salvation. This is why we are uh, so about reaching people, but not just reaching them, building their lives. Not just building their lives on their own dreams and desires, building their lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Building Christ-centered people. That's our, that's our advance. That's our call. That's our, our drive. We said generosity is our joy because the kingdom is not an environment of minimum standards. In the kingdom of God, if you want to work with minimum standards, you're going to be frustrated. Because the kingdom is generous. Frustrated. <laughs> kingdom is generous. Honor is our way. It's how we recognize people. It's how we, how we re- acknowledge value and how we acknowledge the beauty of God in each person. And when you recognize and value beauty in people, you can receive from them. You can be benefited by them because you value them. Look, look at me. There is nobody in this church that does not have value to add something to our greater whole. We see you even though we can't. Tell it to your face every single time. We thank you. You being here matters. And that's why when people start drifting or people start struggling, it matters. It hurts us. 
We hurt with those who hurt, and we cry with those who cry, and we rejoice with those who rejoice. And so being a pastor is almost like being schizophrenic because I can go through a whole day and be like deeply, deeply depressed with somebody and at the end of the day rejoice shouting hallelujah because somebody gave a praise report. But we try and flow with where people are at so as to continue to encourage people to grow in kingdom culture, an expression of heavenly living out here on earth. And then we spoke about last week was the glory of God on the earth. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship, but not just a relationship. It's a relationship with radical purpose. It's a relationship with radical purpose. And God gets to define that purpose. And you know what one of that purpose, part of that purpose is? That all may know. That all may know. So mission is our priority. Why? Because... There are people out there who don't worship. In, 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 in theology circles, it's, uh, they say this. They say, they, say, they say, mission exists because worship doesn't. We don't do mission trips so we can post nice pictures on social media. We don't do mission trips so that we can promote our church. We don't do outreaches in our community so that we can look like a, a place that cares. We do these things because worship doesn't and if one of our efforts do not at least speak to the fact that we would like to promote the worship of God which means the knowledge and the glory of God because worship is merely a response to the glory of God being revealed it's a rhythm of revelation and response when I see him I can't not worship what I see that's why the angels in heaven when they say somebody says holy is the Lord they acknowledge some of his holiness everybody stops what they're doing they stop they stop governing and ruling they throw down their thrones crowns they stop every stops and they go wow that is awesome why because the revelation of God leads to worship kingdom culture acknowledges God's glory it acknowledges his through worship if you struggle to worship, work on your revelation. You've grown stale in your revelation of who God is. Learn more about who He is and it'll ignite worship in your life again. And that's why we do mission. Because we want to see the glory of God spread over the earth so that the whole earth will worship Him. Passionate worship is our intimate response to the glory of God. And today I want to talk about our last one. Because worship is so important to us, we need to be effective in our mission. And that's why we can't do it without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our power. Because kingdom culture is supernatural. Kingdom culture is supernatural. What does that mean? It simply means it's spiritual. It works on different operating procedures than our fleshly world works. The currency of the kingdom is faith. It's not hurt. It's faith. And so much of the church currently is operating on hurt. Let me tell you, Jesus meets us in our hurt. The Bible says he will not, he will not destroy a broken reed. He will draw close to you if you are broken hearted and uh, uh, heavy of spirit. He comes and sits with you in your pain. He will never, never walk away from that. He does not, he's not afraid of that. He draws closer to people that are going through hard times. 
And if you will draw closer to him, he will yet draw closer to you. And he will help bring healing to that. And our church has a lot of that to do with how do we walk through steps of healing? If it's, if it's trauma, how do, how do you process trauma to come back into healing and come back into uh, uh, um, um, emotional well-being? Uh, uh, if it's disappointment, how do you deal with forgiveness and, and uh, offense? How do you deal with forgiveness? And, 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 and if it's loss, how do you deal with loss? And we, we, we actively engage that. We don't shun away from it or try to tell people, no, you have to fix that out there before you come here. No, 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 no. We are actively inviting people, come here. Let us figure it out in family. That's the best place to process hurt is in family. But it doesn't change the fact that the kingdom's currency is faith. Faith is what moves God. Trust. Trust. That's why we say prayer is our first response because we want to acknowledge God being the person that can, the first person that we need to reach out to in moments that we need help. God is our first point of interaction when we're going through a hard moment. We reach out to Him instantaneously. And after that, we ask Him, Who do I need to reach out to next? And because I've reached out to him, he will guide me to the people that will help me to walk the journey through it. Kingdom culture did not come to play some religious games. It brought power to bring about change according to how God wants change to look like. In order to do that, we're going to have to work and operate in faith. Faith is trust that God, what God said will happen will happen if we continue to trust for it. Okay. Um, 1 Corinthians 4 verse 20 talks about this supernatural nature of the kingdom. The kingdom is something that is first and foremost, it's within us, right? The Bible says the kingdom of God is within you. So it's not a physical reign or government or, 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 or king. It's spiritual. It's, it's, it's in our spirit being. And it, it starts internally and then it, and, it, and then it manifests externally. As we are changed internally according to what he wants us to, to be changed as, then our actions start uh, changing. Like I said, uh, maybe two Sundays ago, so much of Christianity has been about trying to just clamp down on bad behavior. Just manage sin. And so you've created this whole this whole culture, church culture, that is about stopping sin from taking place. That's hard, by the way. It's like trying to get a beach ball under the water the whole, and keep it there the whole time. And then going about your life. No, that, that baby pops up somewhere, right? But what if you can get rid of the beach ball? What if you don't have to manage sin the whole time? What if you can fix something internally that results in a natural walking away from sin? That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God changed me so, my, change, changes me so much internally that I choose to walk away from sin naturally. One minute, I still want to do something. The next, I just realize I have no desire to do that anymore. You see that countless times people coming out of partying lifestyles, people coming out of drug lifestyles, people coming out of um, uh, 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 control lifestyles. Um, they just go like, all of a sudden, I had no desire for that anymore. 
Why? Because something on the inside shifted. The kingdom of God came in here. Let me tell you, until the kingdom of God changes you internally, good luck with managing your sin. It can't work. It will never work. But when you start realizing who you are, and you start realizing that I don't want to do that anymore. Listen to me, men. If you're stuck in porn or any, so, any kind of sexual um, uh, 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 addiction, there is just nothing you can do externally to stop that. And boy, have, have, have men tried. What needs to happen is you need to realize who you are. I'm a man of God. And I have a friend. And I don't want to any longer disappoint my friend with that behavior. Look at me. You won't even stop this. And wives, this might be hard for you to hear. But you won't even stop this by making a, a dedication to your wife. The only thing that gets you out of this addictive lifestyle is a revelation of the love relationship you have with Jesus Christ. And realizing how it affects your relationship with him and no longer wanting to do anything that hurts your relationship with God. It's the kingdom of God that comes inside. And the honor of the king and the glory of the king that becomes more important to you than a stupid gratification physically. And the realization that if I act and keep acting on that, I am destroying this relationship that I have with God. This is the beginning of your victory. It doesn't mean just me saying this will Im immediately make it go away. But this is the beginning of your victory. Come talk to me if you're struggling with that. Let's get you in victory. The Bible says, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but it consists in power. God wants change. God wants growth. But it's not about managing it. It's about becoming it. Once you become victorious over sin, now you will rule over it. And the temptation might come, but you can say no to it. The kingdom of God is spiritual. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 says, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. First, the kingdom of God does not come just in word, but it comes in power with full conviction of the Holy Spirit. But what is that conviction about? That conviction tells you this is not who you are. You have become holy. You have become righteous. And listen, I know that there are so many people that, 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 that struggle with this concept, but you in Christ don't call yourself a sinner any longer. I know we still sin, but our nature have changed fundamentally. And calling yourself a sinner is like saying Jesus didn't change anything in your life when you became born again. You became born again as a righteous person. Do I still sin? I still sin. 
But does that change my nature? No, it doesn't change my nature. I have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Listen to me. This is so fundamentally important. Until you've changed the view of who you are and what you are, you cannot live in the victory that Jesus wants you to live in. If you understand that you have become righteous and righteous people don't want to sin anymore, when you understand that, now all of a sudden you realize whatever sin there is still in my life, it's my enemy. I don't want to do that anymore. In fact, I have been freed of that because a righteous person with a righteous nature has been set free from the hold that sin has over us. I am free. I'm not trying to become free of this addiction. I am free of this addiction. And the internal reality needs to start manifesting outside of me. I am free. And because you are free, you can walk free. You don't have to become free yet. Now, I know practically, maybe, yes, sure. But until you realize that the kingdom of God is already here, you've already been changed here. You are able to walk in love. You are able to walk in forgiveness. You are able to walk in victory. You are able to not take on offense. You are able to do everything and anything that the Bible have asked you to do. You're already enabled to do that in Jesus Christ. Second Peter uh, 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 confirms that. I have been given all things that pertain unto life and godliness. You can do this already because Christ is living on the inside of you. That's what it means to be righteous. Now it just needs to start getting outside of you. But until the internal reality isn't known to you and you're not convicted about it, you don't even have power to say no to sin. Because what do sinners do? Sinners sin. But righteous people live righteous. They don't sin. And when they do, it's a deviation off of the norm. It's not the norm anymore. Your norm has changed. Your norm has changed. And he says this, and you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. That's integrity. Living in this spiritual reality brings integrity to your life. Because it enables you to actually do what you've been believing you should be able to do all this time. But you're struggling because you're still, you're still thinking that you haven't been saved. It hasn't happened yet. It's happened. You've been empowered to change. Integrity gives you credibility. Credibility affords you influence. Influence brings change according to what God wants. Ephesians 6 verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in all the heavenly places. Let me ask you this. Are you even aware of any spiritual forces that are at play in our city, your re our region, your nation, in your home? If you're not aware um, of it, then maybe that's why we so often think it's okay to not go with, to not pursue the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. If you don't recognize any spiritual forces that are coming against you, 
why would you recognize the need for spiritual power to oppose it? But here the Bible is clear. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, but it is against spiritual forces that are coming against God's purposes for your life, for my life, for our city, our region, and our nation. Satan has an agenda, and his kingdom has been in operation on this planet until the, uh, from the day Adam gave him authority. The last Adam came to reintroduce the kingdom of God, and this leads to a big reality that we often just miss. That there are two kingdoms that are fighting over this real estate and everything that's on it. But if we don't recognize the real enemy, what do we end up doing? We fight one another, right? <laughs> we fight one another. If, if another nation were to like actively attack this nation, right? Do you think there's going to be like quabbles between, okay, should the Democrats go fight them or should the Republicans go fight them? <laughs> Who's going to fight them? America is going to fight them. Until it's done and dusted and we won and, and they've gone off to, to, the, to the shores again, then who are we going to fight again? Each other. When there's no clear enemy in place, we fight one another. What has the church been doing all this time? Fighting one another. Why? Because we don't recognize the actual battle that's going on here. It's about the kingdom of God taking ground back from the kingdom of the enemy and along with that, the souls that that kingdom holds captive. That's our call. That's our mission. That's our clarion battle cry. Clear as day. And that's why we need spiritual power. Because kingdom culture is spiritual confrontation. Like I said, the kingdom did not come to play church. It came to bring a confrontation between light and darkness, good and evil. So listen to this, what Jesus says in Luke 10, 9. He sends his disciples out to, to go into the cities. And when you get there, he says, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Right? The kingdom of God has come near you. The kingdom of God brings confrontation. But it's a spiritual confrontation. It's not physical confrontation. So when, when somebody heals a person that's sick, he says, the kingdom of God has come on that person. In Matthew 10, 5, again, same story. Jesus sent them out, instructed them, go nowhere, go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Gentiles, go to this sheep of Israel. For that minute, he sent them there. Later on, in Matthew 28, he sends them out to the whole world, right? But for years, he sent them to Israel. He says, and as you go, proclaim, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus spoke about the kingdom, y'all. And then he says to them, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. What you've received, you've received without paying, give without pay. Generosity. The kingdom of God immediately leads to spiritual confrontations. Confrontations to the effects of the devil plus confrontations against the devil himself. Yo, we need some serious power if we're going to continue with this. Kingdom culture is spiritual confrontation. It asks us to pick a side first and foremost. You can't have one foot in the kingdom of the world and one foot in God's. Friendship with the world is enmity towards God, it says. So I want to lead you into a little bit of a, 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 
an understanding here for the next five minutes, and then I'm going to close, about the kingdom of God and why it is so important that we have the Holy Spirit as our power. Listen to a, a portion of Scripture that we so few times preach about in Matthew 10. Matthew 10, 32 says this, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Verse 34, do not think that I have come to bring peace to earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. This is a rough scripture verse, right? This is not what we, <laughs> we talk about all the time in our, like, you know, make love, not war world. But this is the reality of kingdom culture. It leads to confrontation. Why? Because some people are not under the authority of God. And if I am under the authority of God and he asks me to do things a certain way, it will lead to disagreement. But you know what? That disagreement is okay. It's God-ordained and God-condoned disagreement. Because truth has to clash, has to confront lie. It's going to lead to disagree. It's going to lead to debate. It's going to lead to some arguments. We just think that you know, because the Bible says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy, that by de facto, if we're not experiencing peace and joy, we're not in the kingdom of God. Now, l l let me clarify that a little bit. Yes, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy for those who are in it. It brings righteousness, peace, and joy for those who are in it. But for those who are not in it, the Bible says it's the smell of death. It's different, I know, but it's Bible. And we need to heed this. Why? Because if we, want to, if we want to be able to operate in this world where there are going to be clashes of authority, y'all, we need power. We need the Holy Spirit so that we can do this, what this scripture verse here says. Um, oh, I didn't have that one. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote it for you. It's, it's Paul. I think it's 2 Corinthians 9 or something where he says that, My preaching to you were not in human, were eloquent words of human wisdom, but in a demonstration of the kingdom and of power. A demonstration of the kingdom. So what did Paul do? He prayed for the sick. He confronted lies. He had debates with people about faith. He healed the sick. He raised, did Paul raise the dead? Yeah, he raised the dead. And he cast out demons, right? Spiritual confrontations. The kingdom culture coming into this world's culture will lead to confrontation. And we're not meant to back away from that confrontation. And look at me, I understand that there is not a, a, a devil behind every bush. But listen to me, this world's this world culture is in influenced by, by the kingdom of darkness. It just simply is. And so you're going to find influence everywhere. Everywhere. 
And if somebody is coming at me from a, 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 a kingdom of darkness influenced action, it's going to be contrary to me. It's going to be conflicting toward what, it, what I have and what I see and what I, what I want, want, want to do. But I'm not meant to back down from that or to hide from that. I'm meant to bring a demonstration of the kingdom of God and of power. Now, the demonstration of the kingdom of God does not mean I'm going to go with my Bible and whack them. The demonstration of the kingdom is that I'm going to come with my internal culture, which is love, joy, and peace. And I'm going to confront, but I'm going to confront with love, joy, and peace. When I confront with love, joy, and peace, those around are going to go, whoa, that's different. That's different. It's secure. It's confident. But it's not like, you know, it's different. It's different. Now I'm starting to demonstrate to people what it is to be a kingdom citizen. When things happen, I pray about it. Before I plan stuff, I pray about it. It's different. I'm demonstrating the kingdom. When things happen that I don't have any hope for, we pray and we stay hopeful because we have a God who brings dead things to life. I can operate differently in this world. I can demonstrate the kingdom because I have a living faith in a living God. So we have to pursue this Holy Spirit power. It's not just about being Spirit-led, but we have to be Spirit-empowered, y'all. Listen to what Jesus says in the end when He goes away. Um, He talks to His disciples and He tells them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe not you guys that i'm speaking to right now anyone all of those who believe in my name they will cast out demons they will speak in new tongues they will pick up serpents with their hands if they drink any deadly poison it won't hurt them they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover god is inviting us into a kingdom that operates in a spiritual um on a spiritual level And we're going to have to to be able to demonstrate His kingdom, His will, His way, His culture. We need spiritual power. So today we're going to, um, I want to encourage you. um, For anybody who has ever heard of baptism in the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit and have come to a place where they're ready to come and ask Jesus to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. After the service, we're going to pray for you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you haven't heard enough and if you need to learn more about this, understand more, I want to ask you to engage this with one of our leaders. But don't stop pursuing the spiritual power, okay? Um, But the fact is that when you come, you have to come with faith and a desire for it. It's not something that I can push into you or push onto you or nothing. That does not work at all. That is junk. You have to come with a receptive heart say, I desire this. And in that situation, I'm ready to pray for you, for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But it's your faith, it's your desire, but it's the kingdom that needs to come into your life. It's the kingdom that wants to come and empower you. 
So let's all stand and pray. Holy Spirit, you are our power. Father, I pray that we might become so aware of your presence in our lives that we will walk boldly with conviction about who we are. We are sons and daughters of the King so that we might walk in victory. But Lord, it's more that we might take this mission that we have been sent on all of us. You have sent us. You've desired us for intimacy and also you are sending us on mission. That's your purpose for us is intimacy and mission so that the world may know. Father, I pray for each person here that we might, we, we might recognize the reality of, of your spirit. That we might not pay lip service to your spirit, God, but we, we might actively pursue connection, interaction with your Holy Spirit. And ask your Holy Spirit daily to come and empower us for service. Empower us for mission. We know, God, that without your Spirit, we'll lack in our demonstration. Any demonstration we are doing is as a result of your Spirit's power. But God, we pray that you will come and empower us so that we might be so effective in our mission. That we might demonstrate your kingdom for people. That they might see something different in us. God, I pray for a transformation of identity in our hearts and minds. That we might realize whom we have become in you. That we might realize that we are no longer stuck in what used to dominate us because we have now come under your authority. And you have liberated us from all of our sin. You have liberated us from the kingdom of darkness and all the influence and even the oppression that the enemy might have brought unto our lives. You have already liberated us. I pray, God, that we might all just accept that, confess that for our lives and start operating and acting as sons and daughters, righteous sons and daughters of the Most High. That we might live out that identity in joy and peace and love for the world to see what it looks like. And secure kingdom sons and daughters step into a world and brings healing, brings change, brings order, brings love, brings justice. Raise up your sons and daughters, God. Raise us up. Mature us. Help us to grow into your maturity, God. Raise us up. Raise us up, Lord. There's so much more to grow into. There's so much more to learn. There's so much more to understand. Raise us up, Lord God. Help us to see that we're not done. We've only scratched the surface of our growth in you. Help us to see that there's so much more to be entered into, so much more victory, so much more power, so much more strength, so much more vitality to live out of. If we will dig deeper into your kingdom and into our relationship with you. Help us to not stagnate and settle. Holy Spirit, come again and just flood our hearts anew with a fresh intentionality to grow into your likeness, Jesus. To not tap off and think that we've known it all. Lord, we don't know nothing about you yet. We want to see so much more of you. Come, Holy Spirit. 
Come and speak to us in our dreams. Speak to us in our hearts. Speak to us in our minds and pull us closer. Pull us closer. Pull us closer, Lord. We know there's more in you, Lord. We know there's more. No matter how far we've come, it still ain't it. We've still not reached it all. We can still discover more of you. And live in more demonstration and more powerful demonstration of your kingdom, Lord God. Lord, I pray that you will ignite a desire in each one of our members' hearts. In all of our hearts, Lord God, may we desire to see more of you. May we see more of your kingdom become our reality. May we see more breakthroughs, Lord God. May we see more confidence. May we see more boldness. May we see more sacrifice. May we see more willingness to live this world, live in this world fully for your kingdom's cause. I know that that is the most beautiful life that we can ever ask to live. So we're asking, Lord, that you will lead our whole congregation, all of our people, lead us there, Lord God. Lead us there. That's what we want. That's what we desire. Lord, we don't want the praise of man, the perspectives of man. We want your kingdom to rule and reign in our hearts and minds. We want to see your kingdom bring powerful change to our region. There's so much hurt here, Lord. So much destruction and disorder. So much chaos. Lord, help us, raise us up so that we can portray your kingdom. A healed, healthy, powerful, secure, humble people that lives for you, that loves you, that desires for see what your kingdom has died, what you have died for us to obtain. Lord, help us to not settle for anything less than what you died for. Raise us up, Lord, in Jesus' name.